book would be difficult to support in a tour. It was meant to be an anomaly. It was meant to sort of stand and explain itself. It would be di a difficult book for me to tour with because answering questions about it is difficult. It's like trying to explain any ephemeral and elusive thing, except more so because there's so many different ephemeral and elusive things packed into this, and they all require an explanation. But I'm disinclined to explain any of them, so it's a real pickle. There are more things to explain, and it's more difficult to explain those things than a normal one of your books? Oh, yes, very much, because there's a million little messages packed into this. Most of them are known primarily to me. Some of them are known to other people who will catch the references, references to things both public and private. It's a... Uh, I don't know how to, to put it into words what this book means to me, but it's, it's like a, a chunk of very, very good ore. There's a lot of, it's, ore isn't the right word. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, see, I see, I see how much difficulty I'm having put it into words. It, it's, it's such a ball of confusion. It's got so much mixed into it. It's all melded together, but it's not alloyed. There are, Nothing is fits together intentionally. While I was writing the captions for it, which took me about three months, I would get things that I liked, but I felt they weren't oblique enough. There, has, there had to be kind of a broken leg on every one of these animals in order to make you think twice about it in a way. I, don't, I just don't know how to put it into words. I love this little book. It's so intuitive and bizarre and and off-putting. And I think uh, to a huge extent that uh, the credit for that belongs to, uh, oh, you know, the guy who uh, colored it and designed it, Justin Allen Spencer. He really, uh, he really took what was going to be a little collection of cartoons and turned it into something else. The, the color that he slathered all over it really, I don't know, it added yet another semi-coherent aesthetic element that pulled you in yet another direction from whatever center was holding the whole thing together. I mean, the book is about tension and dissonance, fighting the connections that are there. Are you speaking specifically about the images and the words juxtaposed with them? Yes. Yes, specifically. There was a concern at some point that it was going to be too straightforward? I don't know if it was a concern. I mean, that was, that was the original plan. But uh, Eric Reynolds and uh, Justin at Fantagraphics just, they had a conception that they shared with me, which was to make it look like a gift book. I think uh, Eric had been inspired by the the old Peanuts book, Happiness is a Warm Puppy. And you just, and they, they pulled that off. It has that quality. It's a little gem of an object. I don't know if they thought that they had to do that in order to make it interesting and appealing. Now that you mention it, that's probably the case. I hadn't really thought about that before. That's, that's kind of a jolt. It's, it's this uh, odd collaborative thing, and uh, I, I think it all works beautifully. It sounds like you were actively pushing back against some of that accessibility. I mean, obviously, you know, with the, with the Peanuts book, it's, you know, it's something you can kind of pick up and anyone can read and, and appreciate it on face value. Well, I thought at first that 
because the cartoons are dry and the captions are oblique, that putting color on it would be sort of misleading because the colors are so pretty and festive and cheerful and there's almost nothing festive or cheerful in the subject matter. It's all kind of dire, a little ominous, a little off-putting, and none of it is actually funny. I thought maybe that putting the color on it would be misleading in a strange way. People might pick it up, pick it up and go, this looks nice, and then they'd get it home and find out it wasn't nice at all. But when I saw the pages that uh, Justin put together, I, th- I immediately saw that it would work and that uh, the, the colors were value-added in a very kind of intense way. And uh, I was uh, on board as soon as I saw that. Isn't that always the underlying tension with the, with the Frank book specifically, is that there are these very cute cartoon characters and these incredibly just grotesque, horrifying figures? Yeah, I think that describes it pretty well. There is that kind of easy, warm appeal of a character like Frank. That tension is already kind of underlying these bo- these books to begin with, regardless of the captions, it seems like. Yes, but it's all, but all of that tension has been planned and plotted out and smoothed over and burnished to a fairly well by the time it's all drawn up. This is the only Frank book I've ever done that has anything like experimentation in it, where I put things together in a way that made sense to me intuitively, that I didn't feel I had to understand or explain. And the difference between that and the other Frank comics and and the Frank comics is that I don't, I found that for the Frank comics, they want to come into being in a certain way. And if I fight with that, the whole the whole shebang goes south. So the difference is that the Frank comics put themselves together and the tension is built into that. But this book was me consciously addressing and working with this non-narrative material. So it was kind of a one-off experimental, as I say, and not the kind of finely honed, specific, precise, focused narrative. What's the word I'm looking for here? Well, uh, I can't, I can't think of the noun. Narrative, we'll make that the noun. That, uh, that, you know, that, that is what they are. I've seen video of you drawing and you're obviously a very meticulous artist when it comes to choosing all of the right lines. It, It must be freeing to go through and spend all of, you know, all this time working specifically on these panels and then more or less choosing some kind of text at random. Actually, it was very oppressive. The drawings had been stacking up over the years as tryouts for various characters and circumstances that I was developing for the stories that I worked on, and and hardly any of of them actually were used in a story. The the process of putting captions on them was nerve-wracking because... I I knew that I was playing with people's expectations and that a lot of people wouldn't get it or like it, or at least least some people wouldn't. And I didn't see any way to avoid it, and I didn't see any reason to avoid that. But so it wasn't exactly freeing at all. It was was a very difficult... The the, the time that I worked on that was, was kind of grueling. I would get up in the morning, and sometimes when you work on a prolonged project like that, that's very abstract and very out there, it it, it takes a toll on your relationship to reality. Thinking in this really bent, broken, abstract way of the forces that informed these drawings, trying to capture them without being too straightforward about it, took a lot of mental effort. It it wasn't easy. So the captions then aren't, it's not completely random. the, The text does tell a specific story for you. 
Well, or describe a certain circumstance or point in a certain direction. I wouldn't say their their story is too is not quite the right word. They are epigrammatic is how I would put it, I guess. So something more akin to like a woodcut, that kind of style? Well, something more like, uh, well, something just like a regular cartoon, except the point isn't to be funny. The point is to be something else. What was going on that put you in such a dark place for this book? Was it external things just generally happening in the world? Does, does that influence your work to that degree? No, no. I, uh, I, I, uh, don't, I don't see it as being dark in the sense of being tinged by my own personal melancholy or despair or anything. It's just that's the nature of my work. It's, it's always got to have a dire edge to it to, to, uh, to do what I want it to do. It sounds like you, for whatever reason, did push it a little bit more in that direction than, you know, for example, other Frank books, the way you're describing it. Like I say, it was a, it was a completely new experience. Actually, it wasn't completely new because back in the 90s, I had a panel cartoon, I guess you could call it, in the Seattle publication, The Stranger. And I would just take whatever I was working on and put a caption on it, and they would publish it in the back with the music ads. And some people liked it. I've, I've run into people who not only cut them out and saved them, but carried some of them around with them. And some people actually wrote into the paper to say how much they disliked them, which is a, a perfect reaction. Is it the sense of, you know, just as long as somebody is having an intense reaction to the work one way or another, then it's doing its job? Well, in, in a sense, in a sense, except that I don't want people who are smart and with it not to get it. I don't want to let those people down. I only want the squares to not like it. So that's a very tough row to hoe. That's hard, hard to do. One of the aspects that you do lose of not doing a book tour or doing shows in person around it is that that interpersonal relationship with people. I, I assume that this is the kind of book that people read and they want to come up to you and give you their interpretation of what's happening. Could be. Could be. Maybe back when we're all out in the real world, somebody will bring that book to a signing and ask me those questions. I hope so. Do you feel, though, that that, there, that it's a kind of book where there are cor- correct interpretations of each of the panels, or is it just completely subjective? I, that's, that's an interesting question. I guess I would have to say it's subjective. I mean, I, I certainly couldn't say, no, that's not right to any given interpretation by somebody else. So each of these does have a, a deeper meaning to you. To me, yes. I was watching the documentary that came out uh, in the last couple of years, and, and there was a, a part where you were drawing in, in the notebooks. You had stacks and stacks of notebooks. Is that what fed into this book? No, those little sketchbooks are just full of ideas, and they're all fairly roughly drawn. All of the, all of the drawings in this book were done on Bristol board at my drawing table in the, in the same process I use on the comics. They didn't have a home until the idea for the book came along? Correct. What value do you find in drawing that work specifically, you know, if, if it's not part of a larger project? Well, like I said, I do it to see how scenarios and characters and props would look, how they would react with Frank and the other characters. If they looked right on the page, if they were what I was looking for. A lot of the times they weren't, but ideas don't really grow on trees. And when you get a good one, you feel you want to show appreciation to the forces that gave it to you by treating it well. So I would draw these up in my spare time. Drawing is really part of the scripting process for you? Oh, yes, very much. I work it out in various stages with drawing. After I have the the very basic word structure to it, I spend a lot of time sketching it out and 
composing it and composing page breaks and all the rest of it. It takes a long, long time for me to turn a, a written story into a drawn one. Was there a sense, though, that at some point that people were going to see this? I mean, obviously, it is fairly polished. It is something that you spent time on. It's not just a, a rough sketch that you have in a notebook. No, these are finished drawings. There was definitely a sense, though, at some point that, that this would be shown to the world? No, no, I had no idea. I was just doing them to draw, to make pictures, to create pictures. Do you scrap a lot of work? Yes. Do you know roughly how much how much you end up scrapping versus what actually makes it, you know, into a book or into the world? Well, today it's been 100%. I have a page that I'm working on and I just before this conversation decided I would have to do it over because I didn't like the way it was coming out. It's just not close enough to what it was in your head? It didn't convey what I wanted it to convey. It it there had to be a certain texture to it. The, the environment that I was drawing had to look as if it were sort of a, a simulacrum, a kind of a stage set, but not quite. So I have to show marks in the wood where the hammer knocked in the nails, and I have to show splits in the wood, and I have to show signs of age. And with my technique, that's very difficult to show. And my first pass at it, I didn't get it in a way that communicated that. Do you feel that you've become more of a perfectionist as you've gotten older and have been doing this for long? No, I don't think so. I, I think I strive for exactly the same level of clarity and to the best of my ability, good drawing that I can. It's it's That's been pretty even. You still find though things like hammers and nails, you still find it difficult, you know, even though obviously you've been drawing the style for a long time and are, are quite comfortable with it. There's still some ideas that are difficult to convey on paper? Well, they're difficult for me to get the first time a lot of the time. It, a lot of, uh, sometimes, in the, as in the case of this page here, I'll start it without knowing exactly how I'm going to do it, and my first approach doesn't work, so I have to do it over. It sounds like you spent most of the day working on the same piece. Are you ever, do you ever get up and walk away from it and come back to it, or is it something that needs to just be done in that first go? I almost never walk away from anything before it's finished. I always see it through. Sometimes it takes, I just went through a block where I could not figure out how to put some elements together in a story that I'm working on. And I spent a week and a half just beating my head against that wall, trying to come up with ideas. That kind of enforced idleness, that kind of spiritual constipation is the worst thing I know outside of personal loss. It's terrible. But I didn't, I didn't shift gears and do something else. I stayed on that until I got it. What is your sense of why you have to power through that? Well, it's like looking for your keys in a dark room. Walking out of the room, then coming back in isn't going to help you find them. That's what I'm doing. I'm looking for something in a dark room, and there's nothing I can do but keep groping around. No sense in, in prolonging the misery by taking breaks. It sounds like the misery is, is prolonged to some degree in that, you know, if you have frustration on the paper, is that something that just kind of ruins your mood or ruins your day until you're able to come back and get it right? Oh, yeah, very much so. But it's not, a, it's, it's, it's terrible and it's unpleasant, but it's a little bit of a dark night of the soul kind of thing in as much as there's an exaltation that comes with it. It's part of a process that I revere, and so even the bad aspects of it are great. I don't like suffering, but I'd rather suffer failing at that than succeeding at almost anything else I know. I heard you describing the the process, and it it was interesting to hear that obviously this is a a cliche to some degree, but people tend to describe creation as being meditative. And it sounds for you that it's not necessarily meditative. No, it's, it's not. 
It's not meditative at all for me. What's the distinction? You know, I don't really know what people mean when they speak about uh, their work being meditative. I, I just don't know what that means. For me, it's work. It takes concentration and focus and a constant reevaluation of what you're doing. I think that's what the, the phrase means to some degree is, is just being hyper-focused on one thing for an extended period of time and the world around you kind of melting away. Well, there's that thing they call flow now. That everybody knows, artist and musician knows that zone that they get into where you're in a perfect balance. You're doing something that you know how to do, but you're extending yourself just a little bit beyond your 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 zone of complete confidence to do something new. So it's you're using the skills that you have, you're engaging yourself, you're going in a new direction, and you're experiencing the pleasure of knowing that you're doing something new and good for you. That's a great space to be in. Does it become more difficult to push yourself outside of your comfort zone when you've been doing something for as long as you have? Oh, very much so. Very much. I really wish that I could loosen up and draw more roughly and more extremely, but I, I, all of the instincts that I've honed over the years go in the opposite direction. And if I tried to do that, it would look forced and phony. I just couldn't pull it off without all a few years of retraining myself. I've seen some of the ink sketches that you do. I mean, obviously you're capable of doing something reasonably rough in a first pass, but is it just that you're not, you're not satisfied putting that out into the world? Well, by rough, I mean, um, a cart- rough and extreme and exaggerated. A cartoonist like Gerald Scarf or Ronald Searle or um, Ralph Steadman, people who are quick and intuitive and who are have enough control over their their experimental abilities that they can just whatever they do works i can't do that i know that it looks easy and it's not that it's a skill they develop over a long period of time but uh, i think some people can do that kind of thing intuitively and i just cannot i never have been able to that's definitely a common theme with a lot of cartoonists that i i speak to that there is a sense of jealousy in people who are able to do something effortlessly i think in very few instances is anything that we actually see the final product put on paper was the process of making that actually effortless. Oh, absolutely. I mean, how important was it in your early years that you develop a style? Well, it was all important because I needed a, 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 a vocabulary and a, a, a working tool to express myself with. I had to have a style so that people would, you know, you have to have one. <laughs> it was important that, that somebody be able to see something that you'd created and instantly recognize it as being uh, one of your works? Well, no, that wasn't the motivation. I wanted to have a style so that my drawing would have authority and people would look at it and think, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. He's got a style. <laughs> I just I just didn't want people to look at my stuff and, and wonder what it was or where it was going or if I would ever learn to draw. I just wanted it to look solid enough that people would say, okay, and get in and take the ride. You didn't really necessarily consider yourself to be a, a natural born artist in the early days. No, oh, I wasn't at all. I was, a, I was no draftsman at all. My ninth grade teacher, my ninth, my, uh, you know, my ninth grade junior high school art teacher sent me home with a note to my parents asking them to discourage me from being an artist, because as he put it, drawing and painting are not Jim's forte. That must have been some kind of discouragement for you to see a letter like that written about you. Oh, well, I was so out of it, and I was so self-determined, and I was so, I had such confidence in myself that I thought, yeah, it's true, I'm not doing good work now, but this is that's temporary. I will eventually get the hang of this. 
I mean, all my energies were focused on learning how to draw so that I could express myself. And I never even considered that I wouldn't be able to do it. I didn't know how long it would take. And it ended up taking a long time for me being able to learn how to draw, but I never considered giving it up. What was the impulse? You know, what, what kept you going? What made you so determined that you would be able to crack the code someday? Well, just because I felt such a profound sense of vocation about it. I just, I just, I was just driven to do it. It was just absolutely driven to. And it's not entirely true that I, was objective about my work. I, even though I knew I couldn't draw as well as I wanted to, I thought that the little fragments and things that I actually pulled off were charged. I, you know, I had that 16-year-old's enthusiasm for what I was doing that enabled me to avoid the reality of what I was doing in exchange for the promise of it. I just knew that I was going to uh, eventually figure this out. And so not being good at it, at any given time wasn't a problem for me. Do you get a sense of when the code really was cracked for you or was it just an entirely gradual process? No, I did. I did a drawing when I was 26 and everything came together. And after that, I thought, okay, I can do this. I can uh, put a picture together. I can figure out how to draw anything I want to. Not necessarily well, but I can do it. And the first, the first work I did that came together for me has, when I look at it now, it has that quality that I really like in early work, where it's not quite focused. You can see the influences, but it's got this raw, naive vitality that goes away when the work becomes more polished and never comes back again. And that's that's a precious quality to me. That's the irony of getting better, right, as you do... <laughs> is is you you spend all these years you know now in hindsight it it sounds like you're kind of you're maybe chasing a little bit of what you lost from those early days as you improve well i'm not exactly chasing it now but i might do someday if i ever decide that i get nostalgic for my roots but uh i wouldn't i wouldn't want to go back to that terrible state of indecision and and uncertainty I'm very, very happy I got past that. I look at it now and it charms me a little bit. And I remember how enthusiastic I was about my first advances. But no, I would not want to be in that space again. You trade past uncertainties for new uncertainties, you know, and new past frustrations for, for new frustrations in your work. You know, I think part of it is just the, uh, the sweet bird of youth thing. You know, there's so much when you're first starting out, there's so much fun in achieving anything and, and the watching it come together and feeling that you might actually have a career. Those are, those are exciting days. Nothing really quite equals it afterwards. Do you have a desire to experiment with the artwork in the same way that you experimented with the text in, in this book to really put something out in the world that is just radically different from what you've been doing? Well, yeah, I do have that impulse. And as a matter of fact, I'm illustrating a book it's an old book. I don't think I, I'm, a, I'm allowed to say what it is, which makes it sound heavy and mysterious, which <laughs> isn't necessarily. But it's, uh, I'm doing a large, barely figurative illustrations for this thing. And uh, that's it. they're very, very different from any other illustrative work that I've done. Is that a collaboration with someone else or is it you, you're illustrating an existing text? Well, it's a collaboration between me and the long dead author. And I'm doing all the drawings for it. When you did decide to do it, uh, was one of the things that drew you to the project an opportunity to do something aesthetically radically different? Well, no. Actually, what attracted me was the book itself. It's an old favorite of mine, semi-obscure classic. 
And at first I tried to illustrate it in a figurative style. And then for reasons that I'll try to put into words when the book comes out, I realized that I wasn't going to succeed if I went that route. I'm sorry to talk to, so, uh, you know, talk around this without being able to say what the book is, but I, I just don't think I can yet. Did it feel collaborative in a sense? Does it feel collaborative? Well, no, no, not really. In fact, I seriously doubt that the guy would like what I've done with his story here. But it's a very strangely written book. It's got a lot of extremely visual things in it, but they're very sparsely described. And it's mostly a book about metaphysics and human psychology and the occult and all kinds of elusive things. Obviously, you've spoken quite a bit about some of the, the visions that you've had and, and some of the sensory reactions. You know, I remember you telling a story about having a science book as a kid and hearing different kinds of music that were right. attached to different right. images. Is this the case of having read a book and, and you just having very clear visuals to accompany the text? Just the opposite. The book is, is mood-inducing. It makes, it's, it's, it, this guy's books make you feel a kind of peculiar, almost pre-orgasmic frisson, or at least me. And uh, that's what I tried to capture in these drawings, a sense of charged up fluidity headed in a certain direction towards exaltation of a sort. That must be exciting. That must be a nice, nice change uh, working an extended period on something pre-orgasmic. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's another huge thing of work. When I have to do one of these things over, it's a major drag because they're big and complicated and they take me a long time to do. But, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, there we are. Do you still experience that sense, uh, you know, when, when you're when you're reading a text of having some kind of accompanying vision? Is that something that is still a part of your life? No, not really. A lot of that stuff that used to happen to me up until my late 40s has gone away. I just don't experience it at all like I used to. Is that good? Is that something you're nostalgic oh, for? Oh, it's very definitely good. It would be a... It would be... Really, really tragic if I never got beyond that stuff. Was it a painful experience to go through? Not exactly painful, scary sometimes, exciting, always exciting, always feeling that the universe was sending me messages, talking to me, which I know makes me sound schizophrenic. And maybe I was when I was very young, although it doesn't seem that way to me. But I really always have felt if I'd go hiking with a friend and we'd get to the top of a mountain and we'd both be overwhelmed, my friend would be saying, this is awe-inspiring, this is great. And I would be saying, okay, I see you. Who are you? Tell me who you are. Who are you? Who are you? I have that response to a lot of things. And this was, this was that, that uh, sense of being talked to by the cosmos in a very intense way. Everything seemed significant loaded with portent and meaning that specifically sounds like a you know potentially a bit of a scary experience oh lots of times it was very scary but i enjoyed it i enjoyed it when it scared me you know i i uh, would have terrible terrible nightmares and as soon as i you know woke up i wanted to go back to sleep and have it again something that i would miss is you know maybe that sense of having direction i mean it sounds like at the time you know you felt 
like you were felt like you were getting these ideas from some sort of external force about you know what maybe what to do with yourself or or your place in the world i mean that isn't that a little bit scary when that direction goes away well it only went away because it was replaced with the more uh let's say mature version of the same thing the the basic sense that the cosmos is talking to me hasn't gone away but my understanding of it is less uh less infantile how does it manifest itself now uh in the same way who are you who am i what is this what is really happening here what did that mean what is that what is that noise it's more or less the same experience without the 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 visual aspect it's the same experience without being filtered through symbolic images it's just the thought now i tended to think of the images as having been a, a direct influence on what made it onto the page was was that the case i mean were you were you directly inspired to put down some of what you were seeing on on paper and was that what helped you you know develop your your universe in the early days oh yes definitely i, I definitely tried to draw down the 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 things that i saw and things from dreams and everything. It was real important to me to capture all of that stuff. But, you know, you know, it's like uh, any, any kind of, any kind of uh, dream analysis that attaches importance to dreams or the Joseph Campbell idea that fairy tales harbored profound symbolic stories about the nature of life itself. Any of, the, any of those kinds of things, they will only take you so far and, and no farther. And for me, it was all bound up in, in something like art. It was something you could look at and analyze and understand. They were like symbols and signs and faces and things that could be read. And at a certain point, I began to realize that the, uh, well, I've, I've said this before, that art is like drugs. It'll show you places, but it, it won't get you there. And I thought, you know, this is, instead of liking all of this storytelling and all of these pictures because they hint at something. Why not go directly to that thing that they hint at? And that was a a big leap for me to realize that I could do that. And immediately at that point, the, the, uh, the, the, messages stopped coming to me in the form of images and so forth. That you had that realization in your late forties. That's when that occurred to you. Thereabouts. Yeah. Maybe a little later than that, maybe early 50s. Inspiration hasn't been difficult for you subsequently. No, no. I mean, no more difficult than usual. I have, I have times where it won't come, but in general, no, no. I'm still fully engaged in what I do, and I believe in what I do. And my only problem is that uh, I don't know how much time or energy or eyesight or strength of hand I have left. That's the only problem. We're all here for a finite amount of time, uh, and none of us really know how long that's going to be, but... Um, you know, how, how long recognizing that, you know, you, maybe you, you don't necessarily have an infinite amount of time to have a, a straight hand or, or a good vision, uh, does, does that directly influence the projects that you choose? It probably will in the future, you know, because uh, the, the, the Frank stories are drawn with such smooth lines and my hand is beginning to shake a little bit. So it's hard for me to control it. So I thought when I was after this thing that I'm working on now, which will be enough frank for a while. I thought maybe I would develop a new style that had a kind of a more wavery line in it so I could get some mileage out of that before the whole ship goes down. What is it about Frank that's made him such a good cipher for all of these just dramatically different works that you've done? Frank is a, somebody said 
Frank was a blue moon idea, which I think it is. And like I've said, it's, it's something that came to me and it's something that flows when I step out of the way and just let it happen. So I guess the answer to your question would be the reason Frank is good and the reason Frank works is because it's, it uh, makes its, these stories uh, come from some source outside of my conscious mind. I don't consciously put these things together, or at least, I mean, when I've tried to put them consciously together, the whole thing has gone terribly. I created nightmares for myself by deciding I was going to change some aspect of the narration as it came to me. So it's a, I don't know, what, that, what does that mean, you know, that, it, that it's an unconscious inspired product? That, how, what, what can you say about that? What's interesting is the kind of the dichotomy of you feeling like you're banging your head against the wall, sometimes doing the art, getting things right, scrapping complete pages. But there is a sense of, I don't know if effortlessness is the right word, you, you would have to tell me, but there is a sense of just sort of channeling something and letting it flow, but it's coming through the storytelling and not the art. Yeah, I think that's true. I guess the desire is to try to kind of square that, right? Is to square that and to find a way to make make the art flow through you in the same way. I don't know if I can do that. You know, when I do when I do a non-Frank drawing or painting or something, I, I construct it the way, you know, the way people do. I get an idea and I sketch it out and I hammer it and I develop it. It's very different from the Frank stories. And a lot of those kinds of pictures that I do are kind of mediocre. But the Frank stuff, when it's on its game, has a power and a charge to it that I, uh, that I myself can enjoy when the whole thing is done. I can read a, a finished Frank story and it's it's like somebody else did it. Is there frustration in spending the amount of time that it takes to, to draw a page or to draw a panel and knowing, you know, how quickly people tend to take in comic books? I don't think about it that way. Doing it over again is part of my process and I, I'm, it doesn't bother me anymore. I'll spend a a week doing a two-page spread and screw it up and I'll think oh well I'll just have to start it over I'll just get out a new piece of paper and start it over without a pause it's very very much part of the thing and I don't fight it at all if it has to be done it has to be done what's the point of getting upset that sounds pretty liberating when were you able to just kind of push through like that for the first time it sounds like it was frustrating at first well it was frustrating when I was a lot younger but as soon as I had enough control of the pen and my process to get what I wanted I re- would there were just times when I had to do things twice to get them right or three times or four times and it was it was a choice of doing it over or living with something that I didn't think worked and there was never any question do it over. I guess a breakdown there, I guess I, I guess what makes it so freeing or, or what allows it to be freeing for you is knowing that you do have the tool set to eventually get it right. I and mean, that's the difference between being a younger artist and now, right? Is when you were younger, you didn't necessarily know that it was going to resolve at some point. Well, that's true. And when I was younger, I was so pleased to, to achieve anything that uh, I would I would let things stand that I would not let stand now. But it's, it just feels, you know, I'm, I, feel, I feel that what I'm doing with my work is so right for me and that I'm so fortunate to be able to do it, that uh, how hard it is, how long it takes, all that kind of thing, it doesn't really factor into my enjoyment of it. It's just, it's just part of the process. And it, however long it takes, it, sometimes it gets in between, uh, you know, sometimes it makes earning a living difficult, but that's the only pressure. 
I don't, I don't begrudge the situation, the time or the effort that it costs me to do things over. Cause that, cause the way things stand when I, for all the deficiencies in my work, it really is the best I can do. I can say that about all of it, that when I let a page go, it's just, I really couldn't do it much better than that. And that's important to me. Do you derive the same kind of satisfaction and pleasure doing a, a painting as doing a comic? Uh, if it's going well, if I think it's a painting that is adding up to say something, yes. Yes. The frogs have been a constant through a lot of your career. Do they serve a similar function as Frank? Hmm, that's an interesting question. It's hard to say. I've had a lifelong affection for and fascination with frogs. They're fun to look at, fun to draw. They're strangely anthropomorphic, even though they don't look human. They're, they're wonderful symbols of all kinds of things. So... Uh, I think I have an affinity for frogs is the answer. I assume you were following the, the Pepe stuff that was happening to Matt Fury, or at least oh, yeah. familiar with it. Drag. And I wonder if there's something to that as far as the simplicity of the drawing, the, the, the instant recognizability and the kind of the universality of a frog that has allowed it to, for better or for worse, be uh, such a widely adopted symbol. That makes sense. People like frogs. People like pigs. Mm-hmm. 